Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Here we go. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Plenty going on. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. We'll talk weather with Dennis Toddy at the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. And we'll talk biofuels with Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board. We're kind of still wondering and waiting to see how government policies and programs will uh, impact ethanol use in these growing climate plans but it sure looks like the door is swinging open for more opportunities for biodiesel we'll talk with kurt kavarik about that coming up on today's program but we'll start things off with jerry hagstrom with the hagstrom report jerry did you make it back from california okay i did i'm just fine i'm back in washington uh, uh for a period of, uh, I would call it, intense activity on, on policymaking. Uh, it's great to be back. It's spring. The city is beautiful. And uh, I'm raring to go with the markup on the, great, on the uh, Growing Climate Solutions Act tomorrow and a, uh, a, a hearing, confirmation hearing on Joe Brownow to be Agriculture Deputy Secretary. Yeah, let's look at this uh, Growing Climate Solutions Act, which is coming out of the Senate Ag Committee. It is uh, a bipartisan bill at this point, but there are plenty of critics lined up to to meet it as it goes further. But let's just look at the act itself and uh, the fact that they were able to bring both sides together on this. Well, yes, it's it's really impressive what they have done in the last few months. But, uh, when they started this year, Senator Boozman, the, the uh, ranking member, the ranking Republican on the Senate Ag Committee, was not uh, a, uh, someone who had signed on for this bill. And he is on there, and his major contribution is that he has insisted that the advisory panel on this uh, uh, program uh, be composed by ma- majority of farmers and ranchers. Uh, and a lot of people came along with, with Bozeman once he got on there. So you have 17 Republicans and 17 Democrats coming in as the sponsors of the bill. That's a huge accomplishment in this age of so much partisan division. So I would have to say that things look good for this bill, at least in the Senate. Yeah, the bill would lay groundwork for ag carbon markets that we've heard so much about by putting USDA in charge of creating a program to certify credit verification services and technical assistance providers. Uh, so we'll see what happens. There, there's uh, some opposition, it looks like, in the House. So it's, it's still got a ways to go and some hurdles to cross. And uh, I've seen some mixed reaction from the environmental community as well. Yes. Now, I'd have to say that... Uh, you know, I think prospects still look good for this bill. Yesterday, Senator Braun said that he thought that some of the five uh, bills that House ag- that House members introduced last week uh, could be incorporated into this uh, into this program and didn't see that they were in conflict. Now, the House Republicans want to make their own point. They always do. 
So, you know, Glenn Thompson, the ranking member on House Agriculture, said this is an alternative to the, to the Growing Solutions Act. But when you have got uh, 17 Republican senators supporting it, uh, it's pretty hard for the, and the House to counter that, the House Republicans, uh, especially when, when, in the end, House Democrats have the majority in the House. Uh, now, as far as the environmentalists are concerned, of course, the Environmental Defense Fund is a big supporter. The Nature Conservancy is a big supporter. Those are big groups. Uh, the only negative I got yesterday was from the Friends of the Earth, uh, which is a more leftist organization, and they don't like the fact that power plants could buy these credits and therefore make up for some of the what they regard as the polluting that they are doing. Now, um, as we watch where this bill goes it's actually going to be on a separate path is that right from the infrastructure plan that the president is pushing it's unclear yesterday senator sabanow said it was asked that and she said they would offer it as a standalone bill but they were willing to attach it to any vehicle to get it passed so that could include the infrastructure bill but I would say that at this point, the, there are so many questions about the infrastructure bill. That mm-hmm. could be divided into as many as four different pieces of legislation. It could still go as one huge piece that would have to be passed, uh, then that would be passed only by the Democrat. So we'll just have to see here uh, what happens with that. It's, it's unclear. So we also watch this week as the president is scheduled to have an online summit of global leaders talking about climate policy, and we're waiting to see what pledges the president makes on behalf of the U.S. for reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and then we'll wait and see how agriculture fits into achieving whatever commitments he makes. Yes, the most interesting thing I've got on that. Uh, is that Jim Matheson, the head of the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association, said that he thinks that the goal of decarbonizing electrical production by 2035 is unrealistic. Uh, He said you can't do it with the current technologies and that solar works in one part of the country, wind works in another, but they don't work in, in some parts of the country. So, uh, you know, there'll be a lot to be worked out here, but uh, as a Washingtonian, it will be a very interesting discussion. For sure, and and I think many in agriculture are wondering when all this comes down to them eventually, is it going to be mandatory or voluntary, or, or just how will the mechanism be set to achieve these goals? Well, I, you know, on electricity, it might be mandatory. But in terms of dealing with the farmers themselves, I think there's an awful lot of pressure to keep it voluntary, but to make it so attractive that farmers and ranchers are going to want to participate in it. And we're seeing more calls for more funding for conservation programs to attract more participation. Yes, that's that's a part of it. And And there I would say the conflict is, does the funding go into the traditional conservation programs to use them, or do you, or do you need more for some kind of new program, the the proposed carbon bank, uh, this classification system? I mean, how much money would it take to develop that? Uh, but we definitely do need someone to be the arbiter to to make sure that these that these credits are considered credible uh, in uh, in the financial markets. Otherwise, nobody's going to buy them. 
A lot of questions still. We may get some answers this week. We'll be watching closely. Jerry, thanks a lot. You're welcome. Um, it's nice to be back in Washington, and I look forward to talking to you again. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Well, as I mentioned, there seems to be a lot of opportunities in all this for biodiesel. We're already seeing some of that take place and a number of things going on, creating more opportunities. So some uh, some optimism for the uh, biodiesel industry. We're seeing a growing demand for soy oil in connection with that. We're going to talk about all that with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. That's coming up next right here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill.
For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So as we make our way through all these uh, climate policies and uh, wait for some answers to questions and see what decisions are made and commitments that are made, one thing we are seeing already is a growing demand for renewable biodiesel. And joining us now to talk about it is Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, uh, got to be a lot of optimism in your industry right now. Good morning, Mike. Uh, you're exactly right. There is a lot of optimism in our industry right now. Um, it's, it feels like every day we have a new announcement of another facility coming online or being planned or investments being made to produce uh, homegrown renewable fuels, biodiesel, renewable diesel, sustainable aviation fuel, which is fantastic for our feedstock providers. I mean, our soybean growers, um, distillers, corn oil from ethanol plants. There's a there's a, a, a price, this premium that's to be paid right now for uh, additional uh, renewable feedstocks. And it's one issue that we're you know we're focused on heavily with uh, USDA and others is to ensure that we can kind of manage this uh, demand for feedstocks best we can and uh, bring additional feedstocks on. I mean, the fact of the matter is uh, we're, we're in demand because there are state, regional, federal policies promoting decarbonization of transportation fuels, and our fuel is the, the premium product in those markets because we, we, we reduce carbon emissions compared to uh, petroleum diesel by upwards of 75 to, to 85% compared to petroleum diesel. So it's no surprise that there's uh, a focus and energy and enthusiasm for biodiesel and renewable diesel, and uh, we're, we're here to help the industry kind of navigate uh, this, this uh, new enthusiasm. One of the announcements just recently, the Loves family of companies and Cargill have entered into a 50-50 joint venture to produce and market up to 80 million gallons of renewable diesel annually. That's, those are the types of announcements that you were talking about that we're seeing more and more of. That's absolutely right. And, and to the extent that these investments are made uh, you know, close to the feedstock source, I think is, is important. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be demonstrated to, uh, to, to help the bottom line of the, the feedstock providers in that local area. So the extent to which we have you know, soybean crush facilities that are entering into these agreements with uh, biodiesel, renewable diesel producers, you obviously have uh, animal fats, um, uh, you know, feed pro- uh, uh, animal processors who are now seeing the value of, of converting that uh, waste animal fats into a renewable energy product. This is going to be good for, for all of agriculture. If you, if you have any, any uh, uh, input that's related to, to an oil, uh, excess oil, whether it's vegetable or animal fats, use cooking oil or uh, distiller's corn oil from an ethanol plant, you're going to benefit from this increased demand for low-carbon fuels. We're talking with Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board. So, Kurt, after a, a very rough 2020, 
How much rebound have we already seen in the industry here in 2021 as we talk about the, the future here? How much recovery have we seen already as far as plants back online and, and at full capacity and things like that? The the recovery has been significant, and I would I would characterize it as, as the, the, the diesel demand for 2020 didn't drop as significantly as uh, gasoline did. Uh, gasoline demand is a lot more uh, related to um, individuals and, and, and families, et cetera, uh, using their, their gas-powered vehicles. The diesel demand is significantly different, and, you know, long-haul trucking, construction work didn't drop off that significantly. So our demand for uh, the fuel didn't suffer uh, terribly, although it did, it did suffer some disruption. Our, our bigger area of market disruption had more to do with uh, feedstock uh supplies, whether that was used cooking oil that wasn't available because restaurants were closed, because folks weren't eating out, or, um, you know, had livestock processing facilities going offline because of uh, COVID uh, infections, etc. So for the most part, the industry has uh, weathered those market disruptions. As restaurants come back online, as the economy, uh, you know, gathers more momentum, we'll see both an increase in supply of feedstocks, but also a greater demand for the product. So um, right now, I think things are looking pretty good for the industry, trying to weather some extent of this, uh, you know, feedstock supply disruption is, is kind of the primary issue right now. You know, with all the talk about electric vehicles, I would think when it comes to vehicles that count on diesel engines, buses, trucks, things like that, I would think electric is further down the road for that type of uh, uh, use. So I would think that leaves the door wide open for renewable biodiesel. You're, you're exactly right, Mike. And, and this is a message that we've been conveying to the administration and, and leaders on Capitol Hill. We're certainly not opposed to electric vehicles. We, we see a need, if the, if, the, if the policy and the motivation is decarbonization of transportation fuels, we're going to need all options in, in the heavy-duty construction, uh, city fleet um, demand. You're not going to see a lot of these electrify anytime soon, if ever. So our, our message to policymakers is, you know, let's, let's take advantage of the time value of those carbon reductions. Rather than waiting 30 years to electrify some of these uh, hard-to-electrify sectors, let's promote today's use of low-carbon biofuels to replace uh, dirtier petroleum. As I, as I mentioned earlier, we're offering right now 75% better carbon emissions uh, in, in a gallon of, of biodiesel compared to petroleum today. That, that needs to be emphasized and understood by policymakers that there's no reason to wait for, you know, a, a Tesla uh, long-haul semi-truck that may or may not ever materialize. It, and I, I point to California as a great example of this. California's had the most progressive uh, carbon reduction policy on the books for 10 years. Biodiesel and renewable diesel have generated annually the most carbon reduction credits under their program every year since it's been implemented. 45% of the credits generated under their program have come from biodiesel and renewable diesel to the extent that a, a gallon of uh, petroleum, a, a diesel in California now has 22% average renewable content. That, that's enormous carbon savings that uh, shouldn't be overlooked, and that's the message that we're, we're conveying to policymakers. And I'll say this, Mike, everyone in this administration so far has said the right things in terms of the need for low-carbon biofuels now and into the future. 
but we, we've yet to seen it really translate into uh, concrete proposals. So that's that's where our challenge remains today. So when we look at buses and and you know school buses, city buses, things like that, and I've seen some information out, I think from the White House talking about the emissions from those being a concern. So my first thought was, well, why aren't those already on renewable biodiesel? And I got to thinking, in the past, we've had these uh, questions come up before about price and, you know, uh, can for a while it was about performance. I think we've pretty well put those uh, concerns to rest. But price has been a, an issue for some uh, fleets making the switch over. Uh, and I think maybe availability in some cases. Where are we with that and being competitive? Sure. Well, I would I would certainly debunk any notion that that there's a cost impediment to the use of biodiesel. If you consider the upfront cost of an electric bus versus simply converting uh, or running biodiesel in an existing diesel engine, the 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 financial investment is is a fraction. Uh, with respect to where we are at on this, uh, the industry has worked closely with a number of clean cities programs city fleets here in Washington, D.C. We've been promoting the use of biodiesel in their sanitation trucks. The same is true in, in New York City, Madison, Wisconsin, Ames, Iowa. We, we have projects going on across the country demonstrating, uh, particularly with city managers and city fleets, the ability of biodiesel to play a role both in, re in, in terms of uh, greenhouse gas emission reductions and particulate matter. A lot of these areas are, are urban centers with some of the most uh, polluted air in some of the, the lowest income disadvantaged communities. So, you know, we would ask policymakers, what's, what's your goal here to, to clean up these areas with electric buses over the course of the next 30 years or clean up the air in these urban centers tomorrow by utilizing low carbon biodiesel? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Those who had balked at maybe the price of switching to biodiesel in the past compared to the price of switching to electric, uh, all of a sudden biodiesel looks even better, hopefully, and uh, they'll make that switch, as you said, and get the, the results, the benefits right now. Kurt, always good to talk with you. Exciting times. Thanks a lot. Glad to be with you, Mike. Take care. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Up next, we talk markets with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. Markets uh, continuing to go up. We have uh, planting delays to talk about. We have that growing demand for soy oil to talk about. Some weather issues in South America to talk about. Lots to go over with Arlen Suderman. Stay with us. That's next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. 
Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Crop markets have been driven by weather concerns as well as spec fund buying. This week, foremost, is the dry weather impacting Brazil's late-planted corn crop. Brazil announced it was suspending import tariffs on corn and soybean products shipped into Brazil for the rest of the year. The announcement provided additional strength to the markets yesterday. Multiple days of potential below-freezing temperatures across the U.S. is a secondary weather concern. U.S. Temperatures are forecast to be warmer next week, but until then, freezing temperatures threaten the U.S. wheat crop, freezing off some emerging corn and beans, and will keep many planters parked for the next few days. On the Board of Trade, May corn trading 8.5 cent higher at 6.15, the July contract up 5.5 cent at 5.97 and a half cent. For soybeans, the May contract up 10 and a fraction at 14.82 and a half cent. The July contract up 9 and a fraction at 14.67 and a fraction. For wheat Chicago wheat may up 10 and a fraction at 670 Kansas City wheat may up seven and a fraction at 628 Minneapolis spring wheat may up six and a fraction at 675 and a fraction the July contract up seven and a half cent at 683 and a half cent cattle have been pulled ahead more aggressively increasing beef supply to a strong demand market this could stabilize cash prices for a period of time tightening hog supplies have been a concern of packers and will remain that way for a period of time for lean hogs on the Board of Trade, the May contract down $1.10 at $106.97. The June contract down $2.15 at $104.20. For feeder cattle, the May contract down $0.67 cents at $142.10. The August contract down $0.17 at $154.35. For live cattle, the June contract down $0.47 at $118.72. The August contract down $0.47 at $118.92. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Roll. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Well, lots to talk about with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. And before, Arlen, before we get to the weather issues, I want to follow up. We were just talking in the last segment with Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board about this great opportunity that is really unfolding for the uh, biodiesel industry right now. And I, I was thinking back several years ago when biodiesel was first started it was to try to do something about a glut of soy oil on the market and low prices and it was a drag on the market you compare that to where we are now there have been a lot of ups and downs in between but now it looks like uh, you know the demand door is wide open this is quite an opportunity and it looks like a strong demand for soy oil and other uh, feedstocks to help uh, provide this uh, uh, demand for biodiesel now now, it's not biodiesel per se, it's renewable diesel, which is a renewable, totally different yeah. product. And and the advantage there is it's not constrained by some of these blending limitations. And and when you put a blend, that also becomes a blending limitation because everyone wants to go up to the letter of the law and not beyond, so to speak. But renewable diesel is a product all by itself, a standalone product that has tremendous characteristics for the industry and helps meet the standards. And we're working with a number of companies to help them reach those standards, not just domestically, but globally. And uh, we have companies out there that uh, are well-known companies who are trying to meet standards in Europe and other parts of the world moving green with their fuel consumption, they don't really care what they have to pay as long as it helps meet that standard and they're going forward and that means uh, there is unlimited demand almost right now for renewable diesel and some of the other fuel products that are coming out of this revolution. It's the same euphoria we saw for ethanol production 15 years ago now hitting this sector. Um, as we look at some of our estimates going forward, and we work with a number of these clients right now, renewable diesel demand or production capacity uh, doubling, more than doubling this year over last year, and, and then nearly doubling again next year. And so we continue to see this tremendous growth, and we're going to see a significant debt edible oils needed to go into this. So that's going to help the processing. I was talking to one of our people yesterday, and I said, are we going to get to the point where we crush for the oil? He says, we're hmm. get there, I don't know, but we are moving in that direction. That's interesting, and you bring up a good point. Traditional biodiesel has been limited, in many cases, by government uh, levels that have been set and the industry for years has said you set them too low and it's really kind of held things back but now with renewable diesel as you said it, the government is it looks like it's probably going to keep setting higher and higher goals uh, to meet which plays right into this so um, yeah does that really change the dynamic like we saw with corn and ethanol a few years back is that what you're seeing here Arlen coming up really does change the dynamic. It improves crush margins. It demand for soybeans going forward. And will it actually get to the point of driving that demand? That's part of the question here. That is a possibility. Now, one of the negatives of it is we get so much stronger credit. Uh, uh, seven 
uh, versus uh, the ethanol rinse at one, um, that it may end up hurting demand for ethanol longer term. So that's a concern going forward, but it definitely does put in. Yeah, you're cutting out a little now. bit on us here. Uh, you're cutting out a little bit on us, Arlen, so we hope uh, the, the phone line will cooperate here. We're talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for uh, StoneX. So tremendous opportunity uh, for, for renewable biodiesel, renewable diesel, and that's opening up uh, some real market opportunities. Uh, let's go back uh, to address the weather concerns of the cold weather, the snowy weather, delays in planting and concerns about some crops already planted. Uh, what do you see there as far as any long-term impact or concerns, Arlen? Well, at this point, and, and let me know if we cut out any more, but uh, at this point we think it will be significant for individual producers perhaps that have some corn or soybeans that emerge, but not significant from the uh, for total for all the total production for the United States for corn and soybeans. There's replant opportunities still at hand. It does delay the planting and the emergence of the crop. That means we don't get quite the start. That takes away a little bit of the yield advantage going forward, and we think we'll still be able to get the acres in. Now, it may reduce our ability to expand acres, but that's a little bit of a stretch too as long as does look like we're going to be going into a wetter pattern for much of the central and eastern Midwest as we warm up. We warm up the soils in order to start planting or pick up the planting pace again, and then the rains come in and delay us. So we'll have to see how this plays out as we go into month of May. Some concerns about the winter wheat crop. We had about 15% of the hard red winter wheat belt and 15% of the soft red winter wheat belt vulnerable to freeze damage last night. We look at the temperatures that, that happened. They were very marginal for damage levels. It looks to me like we may have had some spot, spotty that got cold enough to do some damage. We do not think that this was a widespread weather event yet at this time, but we're going to have to get temperatures warmed up another week or 10 days and see how the tissue was affected by it. Yeah, we're going to get more of a wheat update on tomorrow's program. So a lot of talk about these market prices and uh, the uh, long-range uh, implications here as far as marketing. How far out should you market and look and, and lock in some of these prices? What, what are you suggesting? Well, as, as we go forward, we look right now of corn and soybean supplies being relatively tight over the coming year. We've seen a declining prospects for the safrina corn crop right now. We're seeing some increased weather risk uh, for the Midwest this coming summer. Not a guarantee that we're going to have a problem, but elevated risk. Uh, right now it looks like we're not really going to have a handle on the safrina corn crop losses or the Midwest weather pattern probably for another six weeks or so. So I anticipate that while prices never go in one direction straight for, for very long, we have corrections, uh, sometimes they even out and go into a sideways trading range, uh, the traders are going to be reluctant to be short and we're going to have end users looking to buy the brakes as well as speculative buyers buying the brakes until that becomes clear. That's going to tell us a lot more about the long-term picture. Once we get past the next six weeks, we know what spring corn crop is. We get a better feel for what the Midwest weather pattern is going to be. Then the market's going to be vulnerable in both directions. Is there going to be significant problems that show up 
uh, in those two areas that take prices significantly higher? Or does everything start to fall into place? Safrina corn crops not hurt as bad as we fear. Midwest weather pattern is looking productive and looks like it's going to be good. We could see a significant sell-off at that point. That's going to be a pivotal time. We normally think of 4th of July as being a pivotal time. That may come a little bit earlier this year. We're going to have to watch these things for direction. But how much downside risk is there, Arlen, with stocks this tight? Even if it's a good safrina crop, even if we have a, a good crop here, I mean, with, with the stocks this as tight as they are, how much downside pressure can there be? I mean, yeah, can come, prices can come down, but can it be a huge drop-off? Well, fundamentally, that would not appear to be the case. And I've been having some end users asking me, you know, how big a break can I anticipate when I can get coverage? Well, if end users are asking that question, that tells you right there, everyone's very nervous about wanting to buy the breaks, and that tends to limit it. Um, at the same time, we've got so much money in, in now with the expanded position limits as of March 15th that you can get a technical sell-off that goes well beyond what's fundamentally justified. It may not stay mm -hmm. down there very long, but it can give the producer who maybe has not sold as much as he or she would like a little bit of uh, heart arrhythmia uh, watching it play out. But fundamentally, it looks like these markets should have a good support base beneath them until we can start to rebuild supplies, which would mean above trend yields in the Midwest this summer, or something to significantly expand production, or some type of un currently unanticipated sharp drop in demand. Uh, that's a good point. We've seen it many times. Markets going down, and we're we're looking and saying, "How can this be? Why can it? Why is it happening? That doesn't make any sense." But yet, it, it happens. Uh, real quick, what are we seeing on business? Uh, are our export numbers? How are they? Are high prices discouraging sales at all? Well, we've seen some of that. I think the biggest place of vulnerability. Right corn export sales has started to slow. I think we're going to see shipments remain strong through the rest of the marketing year, but we should not underestimate the amount of wheat that is displacing corn around the world, not just in the United States, but around the world in the feed bunk. Yeah, good point. Uh, and you know, real quick, sorghum, that, that, that's still a hot market, right? Yeah, and it seems like it's picking up again with China seeing demand and even the the renewed uh, emphasis on alternative feeds in China that came out today, again, placing some emphasis on sorghum as a feed. Wow, lots going on. Arlen, as always, thanks for the update. We appreciate it. Thank you. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Well, weather's been a big topic, uh, of course, uh, with the uh, the snow and the cold, concern about damage to the wheat crop, concern about early planted corn and beans, delays in planting more corn and beans, a lot to talk about. We'll go over that with Dennis Toddy, Director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, and what does he see ahead as far as weather patterns. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. 
maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanting.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. Okay, need a little more. Too much, little less, just about got it. And that's what it's like figuring out nitrogen. But with my field nurture from FS, your crop specialist can help with expertise and a vast array of tools to manage nitrogen all season. You'll get a plan for the right source at the right rates at the right times and in the right place to maximize ROI. So talk with your FS crop specialist to learn more about my field nurture. Right there. Perfect. 
Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather, as many are this week, with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. All right, Dennis, I've lost track of how many times I've asked this question. Is this the last blast of winter weather we get for a while? <laughs> um, it, it is the last, I think, of the really cold. Um, I, it looks like the pattern is going to be shifting to more of a typical springish, where you'll have some warm-up, cool-down kinds of things, not this persistent cold like we've had for the last week of 10 days. So that's the good news. I mean, we've had some freezing conditions, really freezing conditions, so we're, we're kind of assessing what the impact is on that, uh, on, on row crops and some other specialty crops. Uh, can't say we're completely done with freezing, but it looks like this is the, the last of the big cold we're going ahead here anyway. Um, snow in April is not unusual for much of the country, although there's some places getting some that may be not used to it. Uh, even certainly cooler temperatures, not necessarily unusual, but this cold, somewhat unusual. But the double whammy of both, how historically, how unusual is this? Well, it's really interesting because, uh, I mean, this is, this big of cold is, is fairly historic. We're setting some records around. But, you know, some people have pointed out, and I look back over the last few days at some of the trend, and, and over the last five-ish years or so, there's been something odd happening in uh, April in, in the upper Midwest. You know, whereas other months, March and May, have had warming, uh, overall warming. April the last several years has had this cool bent to it. Sometimes cool and wet, and this time, and this mostly cool and, and drier. Though we have had had some some uh, some wet along with this, uh, so it is kind of you know having cold is not uh, abnormal, uh, but this extreme cold uh, and and the combination is is somewhat unexpected. Let's put it that way. Now. Some precipitation, I know some places it was a wet snow, but in the in some really dry areas, this hasn't really changed the picture much for them, has it? It, it really hasn't. I mean, when you look at, at, at this snow and what's happened over the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, like uh, parts of Iowa, parts of Minnesota, a little bit of the eastern Dakotas, 
have had some improvement. There was some snow up in North Dakota helped a little bit, but still not a, a real long-term help. Um, you know, and then there was some snow in, in more part of the southern Corn Belt. And, you know, that area had had decent amount of precipitation already. So, and, and then the snow is going to go away pretty quickly. There's not a ton of water involved with it, so it's not going to be a big issue. So the recent precipitation has been somewhat beneficial uh, across chunks of the Midwest. Uh, but we still have places, as I mentioned, kind of in the northern plains, and there's a, an area up in the, you know, kind of around the Great Lakes that's been running somewhat dry also. The soils are fairly dry, and we haven't had a whole lot to help in, in, in their situation just yet. So as we wait for the warm-up and get rid of the snow and kind of get back to going in the fields, all of a sudden we're, we're going to be looking up, it's going to be May. And uh, what is your outlook for the month of May? Well, you know, it, it, what we're looking at, you know, we're expecting here, looks like into next week we get back to more normal temperatures, more normal spring up and downs, um, better chances for some precipitation in the southern Corn Belt and over the eastern part of the Corn Belt, uh, north central, not quite as much uh, in this way of precipitation. Yeah, looking ahead to May, the outlooks right now are kind of putting us into an interesting situation that, uh, you know, the, the Climate Prediction Center outlooks came out last week, and they will be updated again right before the end of the month. But again, the eastern part of the Corn Belt has better chances for precipitation, a little bit of increased chances for precipitation. Um, warmer southern part of the Corn Belt, there is this, this persistence showing up into part of May in the north-central area that, that, you know, maybe not quite as warm or might actually lean a little bit towards the cool side some into early part of May. This is something we're going to have to keep an eye on. Those cooler temperatures, especially in the drought areas, are somewhat beneficial because it helps, you know, maybe if you can get precipitation, at least it's not going to make things worse. But if you're trying to get uh, row crop put in the ground, those colder temperatures are not kind of what you want to see. Fortunately, in a lot of cases, our soils are, are relatively dry or not too wet. So when we do get warm temperatures, they're going to warm up pretty quickly. When you look at that drought monitor map, uh, it, it's a lot of area there that's still in that drought concern area. Uh, and here it, it's been that way for a while. And if we don't fix it in the spring, I mean, if it doesn't get better in the spring, it, it seems like it's going to be around a while. Correct. You know, that we've, we've got some areas of D0 or D1 moderate droughts, again, kind of around the Great Lakes. But then as you get over the northern plains, parts of northern South Dakota, really focused on North Dakota, a little bit of Montana, uh, they're up to D3. Um, the D3 is extreme drought. I get my categories mixed up. Yeah, they are at a point now as we're getting into, you know, close to the beginning of May, we're getting close to their peak time of precipitation in the spring. Uh, so their chances to help resolve that situation or, or maybe improve the situation anyway are becoming more limited and you know talking with folks up there and looking at what happens the way of climate you know they're at a point where things are not we hope to get them a little bit better we're not going to fix that situation as we go along here for a while because if we haven't had pretty much precipitation by this point chances for more precipitation are fairly limited uh, and then as you get on into summer, things just don't get better up in that situation. And then you've got the whole southwestern U.S. problem that is a whole other set of issues going on. So you're right. Uh, we're getting late to help them out. Other places, 
you know, we still have lots of chances. And actually, the, the dry conditions early on and dry soils early on are not a bad thing. You have a lot better chance to recover your soil. You know, you, you get a better chance for, for uh, root development and that sort of thing going on. So uh, biggest concern is the Northern Plains right now. All right. Dennis, as always, thanks for the update. We appreciate it. Happy to do it. You guys take care. Thank you. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. All right, tomorrow we'll get a report on uh, potential wheat damage from this uh, cold weather this week. Also going to talk more about some of the climate policies being proposed, some of the legislation being worked on, and how agriculture fits into all this. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.